Hello, hello, and welcome to the Root Cause Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Carrie Jones. Today, I'm talking with Emily Lucenti, a nurse practitioner who gave us the lowdown on sleep disorders, sleep apnea, snoring, and mouth taping, and how all that's affecting you. Emily is a board-certified nurse practitioner specializing in pulmonary and sleep medicine. She's a member of the American Academy of Sleep Medicine and regularly educates on all aspects of sleep as she feels it's a major foundation of health. It was an absolute pleasure talking with her today as I know you probably have questions around snoring or sleep apnea and how that's really affecting your health. Here's a clip from today's conversation. There are several risk factors or reasons why somebody may have sleep apnea, obstructive sleep apnea. For instance, anatomically, right? Some people may just have smaller airways with big old giant tonsils in the back of their throat. So getting those tonsils removed may be all they need to do to keep that airway open. There's also oral appliances, oral dental devices. It's similar to like a night guard for people who have bruxism or clench their teeth. It's an oral device that just kind of pops the jaw forward at night. And when you pull this mandible forward and just slightly adjust it forward, the base of the tongue comes away from the airway, puts a little tension on the soft tissues and keeps the airway nice and open. So that's a really nice portable, low-key device. For some people who maybe they're morbidly obese and they have big thick neck circumferences, weight loss can cure sleep apnea. I have a lot of patients who come to me who are being worked up for bariatric surgery. And it's one of the things they have to do, one of the hoops or the boxes they have to check is do sleep testing and get on a sleep machine or, or CPAP machine if they have significant apnea because it helps so much with the weight loss. Once they lose the weight, they hit their goal weight, whether it's bariatric surgery or through diet and exercise, lifestyle and behavior, we retest and they don't even need anything anymore. That's just a small taste of the amazing show that we have for you today. Hey, before we get started, I want to talk to you about something that comes up pretty often on this podcast. And that, of course, is lab testing. You see, testing is one essential way to understand the root cause of an illness. And if you're an integrative or functional medicine practitioner, chances are you are placing a ton of orders with a ton of different labs. The Root Cause Medicine podcast is created by Rupa Health. And Rupa is the best way to order, manage, and track results from over 25 different labs in one single place. Thank goodness, no need to create and log into multiple portals ever again. So if you are a practitioner, make sure you go sign up at rupahealth.com to create a free account today. Now, let's get on with the show. Emily, thank you so much for being on the Root Cause Medicine podcast today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, we had a great conversation on Instagram and I, it was so popular that I wanted to make sure we could talk about it longer <laughs> on the podcast, all about sleep, especially as for us, us women, as we get older and head into perimenopause and menopause, I know it can be a real big deal <laughs> for a lot of us. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. And I think a lot of women, especially women like you and I and older who maybe are starting to enter some perimenopausal times are in major denial that sleep could be such an issue. And nobody really talks about it. Nobody knows that that's what to expect. I think a lot of us hear about kind of the mood swings and the irritability and the hot flashes and all those great things that come along with it. 
but nobody tells you that your sleep is going to go out the window. And so that comes as a big shocker to people. Oh, I would have patients who, back when I was younger, I would have patients in their 40s and they would say, you wait when you hit 45, when you hit your 50th birthday, when you're, they would have a clear number for them. And they would say, you're not going to be able to sleep. It's all going to change. And I was like, no, I'm a great sleeper. It must just be you. (laughs) Yes. Turns out they were right. (laughs) Yeah. For many women. So not everybody is their sleep affected, but many women do have trouble sleeping, whether it is due to hot flashes or anxiety and that kind of thing. But a lot of women do experience changes with sleep. And so I love educating women about it, helping women through it. It's not always the easiest. Everybody wants the magic pill. They want the silver bullet. And unfortunately, that's just not how it is. Yeah. Although I will say there are plenty of women who go to their primary care provider or their OBGYN and they tell them that they're having sleep difficulties and they walk out with a prescription for Ambien. And it's a major problem. A lot of people get hooked on sleepers and then they get through this phase And then they start to age more and all of a sudden they're 60, 65, they're hooked on Ambien and all of a sudden nobody will prescribe that anymore. Nobody's willing to write the script and they're left holding the bag. Like, what do I do? Yeah. So that is another thing that I love working with clients is getting them off of sleepers and actually sleeping rather than being sedated at night because that's what the sleepers do. So how did you get into this in the first place? Tell everybody a little bit like who you are and what you do and how this became a passion of yours. Yeah. So honestly, I think I told you before, Carrie, my background is in critical care. I'm a critical care nurse. I worked in the ICU for many years, about 15 years, and I really lucked into sleep. When I went back to school to be a nurse practitioner, I was lucky enough to work with my medical director, who is a pulmonologist and sleep specialist. And he was kind of looking for somebody to help with his private practice. And I was looking for a position and I wasn't terribly interested in sleep. But the more that I got into it and that I learned about it, I just fell in love with it. And I realized that it you change somebody's sleep and you really do change their life. So I've just absolutely loved working in this field. And I've been very lucky to be working in it for about seven or eight years now. So going back to my critical care days in the ICU, I never really made the correlation. And looking back on it, hindsight's always twenty twenty. But I was kind of I was the nurse who would sit outside of my patient's room and I'd be like, you're not going in that room. I don't care who you are. For at least two to three hours, this patient is getting uninterrupted sleep because I would see the patients who had major sleep deprivation in the ICU were the ones who went into delirium. And it's like a state, they call it ICU psychosis. And between the bells, the whistles, the poking, the prodding, the people in and out, the lights on all the time, they would literally lose their minds temporarily. And so, like I say, looking back on it, I now realize why these people had acute delirium due to sleep deprivation. And now for a lot of people, regardless of age, the delirium is still real. So maybe they're not obviously in an ICU. They don't have the poking, the prodding, the the bells and the beeps, the lights, but they wake up every day exhausted. They have brain fog all the time. Mm -hmm. They could just take a nap at any moment, or they push and push and push and push. And when I would ask them these questions as patients, how's your energy? And they'd go, my energy's great. Like, "Uh uh-huh. What happens when you sit down? Oh, I fall asleep immediately. Fall asleep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I always find it interesting. 
I have a pretty busy practice here in Hawaii and I always find it interesting at least once or twice a week, I'm with a patient and I hear somebody else out in the waiting room and they're snoring sitting in their chair. And I'm like, okay, I know why you're here. (laughs) Absolutely. All right. Well, let's talk about that. So what is a sleep disorder and how does something like sleep apnea fit into that? So sleep apnea, so a sleep disorder in general is just exactly that, right? It is a problem with sleep. So whether it's due to insomnia, falling asleep, staying asleep, maybe a REM behavioral sleep disorder, we should be temporarily paralyzed our bodies during REM sleep, but some people act out dreams, they sleepwalk, they sleep talk. There's narcolepsy where people fall asleep inappropriately and go straight into REM sleep. And then there's the breathing disorders while you're asleep. And that's what sleep apnea or obstructive sleep apnea is. There's two different types of sleep apnea. There's a central sleep apnea, which is when your brain doesn't really trigger you to sleep, to breathe. And then there's obstructive sleep apnea, which is actually a mechanical problem where the airway collapses when you go to sleep. So obstructive sleep apnea is actually very, very common in our modern society And I think it's been very common for a long time. However, with the uptick and the rising of our body habitus and and obesity, which is one risk factor, we are starting to see sleep apnea very commonly. Also, we are testing more. There's a lot more awareness out there in the communities. People are very educated because of social media, because of all of the resources they have, they're going to their primary caregivers or their primary care providers and saying, you know, gosh, I think I should be tested for sleep apnea, or my husband won't sleep in the same room with me anymore, or I'm falling asleep at work and I'm getting in trouble. So I think now that the, our kind of communities are becoming just more aware of the problem, we're able to test for it and screen for it and just making it more, not so taboo. I think for a long time, especially women, they said, gosh, there's no way I have sleep apnea. I'm not a morbidly obese, middle-aged or older man. There's just no way. But that's just not true. That's not true. So what symptoms when you, let's say you're talking to complete strangers, you're at a party and what symptoms do you listen for when they're telling you, they're like, oh, you're a nurse. That's so cool. You know, nurse practitioner. That's so cool. These are the symptoms I'm having. What stands out to you where you're like, girl, you need a sleep study. <laughs> you're yeah. having- well, I hope at a party, I'm not talking about sleep apnea, but, <laughs> <laughs> but you're absolutely right. You know what happens. <laughs> yeah, you are absolutely right. Yeah. So um, typically it's very interesting and there seems to be kind of two different subsets of people with sleep apnea. So I see one group of people who come in and they feel fine, okay? They don't have any symptoms. They think they sleep fine. They hit the pillow. They sleep all night. They're not aware they're waking up. They wake up, they feel fine. They're not falling asleep or drowsy during the day, but maybe their bed partner has told them like, you're snoring, you stop breathing. I won't sleep with you anymore. And so they're kind of forced to come in. We do a sleep test and sure enough, they've got off the chart sleep apnea, yet they're completely asymptomatic. And then there are the people who come in and they're like, I'm tired all the time. I wake up fatigued. I wake up with headaches. They have all the symptoms. We test them and they have very mild sleep apnea. So in our common practice, I mean, we have to quantify it when we do lab testing as mild, moderate, or severe. But to me and the doc that I work with, I don't really like to really classify people as mild, moderate, or severe because just because they test a certain way doesn't mean that it's mild in their life. Just like, you know, women who have like subclinical hypothyroidism or people who have hypothyroidism, they have very severe symptoms, yet their providers telling them like it's within normal limits. Well, it's not normal to them. 
So there are some people who have symptoms and those who don't. So oftentimes it's a loved one or, or a bed partner who kind of sends them our direction. But typically the signs and symptoms to look for snoring, daytime sleepiness or fatigue, hypersomnia, waking up with like dry mouth, which is a, a sign of mouth breathing and snoring at night, morning headaches, brain fog, difficulty sleep, staying asleep. Maybe they're able to fall asleep, but they wake up a lot during the night. They don't know why. Not necessarily they have to go to the bathroom. They're just not sure. So fragmented sleep. And then all the things that come along with sleep deprivation too, right? It's just like difficulty focusing during the day, memory problems. They just seem to forget everything, that kind of thing. And there's, you mentioned earlier, like that obese middle-aged man is who we typically classify. Mm -hmm. But with women, it's just as important that they get worked up as well. There are long-term sequelae or risks, things like cardiometabolic disease, et cetera, are also at play here, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So sleep apnea or sleep disorders, for whatever reason it is, a poor sleep quality or quantity definitely affects every aspect of your life. It affects all of every system in our body, every organ, every cell. So if we're not sleeping well, or we're having sleep apnea, low oxygen levels at night, and just not that normal sleep architecture that we should have at night, it absolutely affects your cardiovascular status. It can increase your risk of a stroke or a heart attack. I see people with new onset atrial fibrillation, high blood pressure. It makes your cortisol levels high at night, which we know then drives up the insulin and the glucose levels, hormonal dysregulation with leptin and ghrelin, memory and Alzheimer's dementia later in life. Our sex hormones are also affected during our deep sleep is when men and women make and release testosterone. So I often just this week, I saw a gentleman 30 something years old with off the charts uh, sleep apnea with his testosterone levels, like of a 60, 70 year old man. Wow. So it really does affect every system, every organ, every cell in our bodies. Which is, this is really good to hit home because so many women, my female patients, you know, I'd say, do you snore? Have you been told you snore? Has anyone mentioned sleep apnea or sleep issues with you? And it's, I get it. It's embarrassing. And they would, but they would blow it off. Yeah. My partner's told me I snore some or yeah, I know, you know, runs in my family. All of us snore like a log. It just is what it is. I'm like, no, no, no. They're in my office. Usually not for the, those symptoms. They were in my office because they were tired, right? They were having brain fog. They were struggling with blood sugar, et cetera, migraines. And so they're like, well, why do I have these things? And I would ask the sleep question and they we don't get taught, nobody gets taught in our society that this can very much go hand in hand. And the oxygenation part to me as a practitioner was huge. So I'm like, we're humans, we need proper oxygen. And if you, throat is closing, right? Like all the back is closing and you're not getting oxygenation to your brain, first and foremost, not none, but it like drops down or to the rest of your system, how do you think you're going to function as a human? Right. Not that well. So I love that you're educating on this because for those who are listening, who are going, yeah, that's me. I, I've been told I snore a little bit. <laughs> I wake up choking sometimes or I've been caught mouth breathing, but it's no big deal. It is a big deal. It is a big deal. It is a big deal. And Carrie, honestly, I really commend you for doing those screening questions. I mean, that's the whole thing, right? Root cause medicine. Mm-hmm. And so... I think that we need to get more practitioners really using those screening tools, those simple screening tools and those very easy 
five, six questions just to ask patients, like, how are you sleeping? Are you able to, I mean, getting to really the root of the problem, not just they're in your office for migraine headaches. Well, let's find out why you're waking up daily with a migraine headache. Yeah. Or this young gentleman, well, let's find out why you're having erectile dysfunction at 30 some years old. It's more than just here's the pill to fix the symptom. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And as women age, really what got me into understanding the importance of screening for sleep was many, many, many years ago when we had a sleep doctor, when I was in practice, we had a sleep doctor open up a clinic a couple miles down the road. I worked with hormones in a large clinic and he was like, hey, can we meet, right? Thinking referral, networking. And he said, hey, clinical pearl, when you have women with a lot of hot flashes and night sweats at night, as they transition perimenopause, menopause, they need to come see me. Because the change in hormones is changing their anatomy and physiology and the trigger, their uh, breathing is changing. And therefore it is going to trigger, they're going to come up with to you and say, hot flashes and night sweats, but they need to get sleep evaluated. And I was like, oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. So why is that? Why do women in particular go through their maybe teens, 20s, 30s, zero issue, all of a sudden they turn perimenopausal and all their sleep goes to hell when it comes to the sleep apnea or disorder sleep. What's happening there? Sure. So early on when women are under 40, under 45, before they really start to see hormonal changes in perimenopause, it's really, it is more of a risk factor to be a male. Okay. Mm -hmm. But as women start to transition and enter perimenopause, estrogen and progesterone dropping, which is actually protective of the airway. And so as those levels drop, just like everything else, muscles loosen, right? We have complex muscles in the back of our throat that work together to keep the airway nice and tight and open, have good muscle tone. But when we go to sleep at night, those muscles relax a little bit. And as our estrogen and progesterone levels drop, those muscles relax even more. So that's why maybe somebody never had sleeping problems. They've never snored. They've never had an issue. And all of a sudden they hit menopause, they put on a little bit of weight, estrogen, progesterone levels drop, and all of a sudden they are snoring like a lumberjack. And their bed partner or spouse is telling them like, gosh, you're starting to snore and they're tired all the time. And that's when people finally will come to me and say, what is going on? Like I'm gaining weight, I'm snoring so much. And it all kind of goes hand in hand. Of course, the weight gain doesn't help the snoring and sleep apnea and vice versa. So you get stuck in this vicious cycle, right? Because these women are like dieting like crazy. They're living on like a thousand calories. They're exercising as much as they can. Their weight isn't shifting at all. And then they're sleeping terribly. And so you just are like in this hamster wheel and you can't get out until you treat the root cause, which is definitely the hormone imbalances, but also the sleep. So... And how do you evaluate for the sleep, regardless of age, menopausal or not? Because obviously there's people who are, that guy is a classic example. In his 30s, I've had patients in their 20s say to me, oh yeah, my partner says I snore. I'm like, ha, you're getting worked up. (laughs) What's a typical workup for you? So typically when a, a patient or client comes to me, I do a full comprehensive sleep consultation, right? It takes about an hour to really get a good consultation, a good health history, a sleep history, medical history, medications. And then if appropriate, and I feel like they could be at risk for a sleep disorder, we have different kinds of sleeping tests that we can do. We have a full comprehensive in-lab sleep test, uh, polysomnogram, and people can come into the lab, they spend the night, 
They get wired up head to toe with a ton of electrodes and nobody wants to do that test. And I think that's one of the reasons why people don't come in for sleep testing because everybody's like, I'm not going into a sleep lab and getting wired up, getting all that goo in my hair and wires and having somebody sleep and have me fall asleep and watch me all night. So those tests are, that really is the gold standard, okay, is in-lab sleep testing. However, if we're just screening for sleep apnea and the person doesn't have COPD or they're not oxygen dependent, they're not way morbidly obese, they don't have a ton of risk factors, heart failure, we can just do a very simple home sleep test, which is awesome. People can take it home. It's just a little kit. We teach them how to use it. And you just sleep at home in your own bed on your own schedule. And it's just a really fancy kind of pulse oximeter Mm -hmm. that basically monitors your respirations, your breathing, your oxygen levels in your heart. And so you don't get actual brain activity or muscle activity on the home test, okay? So like I say, a full in-lab PSG would be a comprehensive test. But if you're just looking for sleep apnea and you don't have a ton of other risk factors, a home sleep test is perfectly sufficient for most people. And that can be done in all 50 states, right? This isn't something that's just limited to what your clinic does. I mean, people can call their insurance. There are lots of companies that do it. They can talk to their primary care, correct? Absolutely, yes. I think most people are doing home sleep tests now. The ASM, the American Academy of uh, Sleep Medicine, definitely endorses it. I will say there are a lot of different devices out there for home sleep testing. And as we all know, there's a lot of variability night to night in our sleep, right? You drink alcohol, you're congested, you have a cold, you sleep on your side rather than your back. There are a lot of variables. And so some clinics and some devices only record one night. Mm. And it's really a shame because, or the insurance company will only pay for one night typically. It's a shame because there is so much variability. I like to use devices typically that we can do at least three, four or five nights so we can really get a better picture of what's going on because there is some degree of false negatives, false positives, and the variability night to night. What about all the people who are wearing trackables now? Mm -hmm. Does that ever give you an indication of, oh, wow, we should probably work this up further, like an aura ring or a whoop or a Fitbit where somebody says, you know, my readouts on my app says I wake up a lot during the night and I don't have any sponsorship or anything with them, but I wear an aura ring and graph out my movement Mm -hmm. in the night. And so Obviously, some of the movement I'm aware of, if I have to get up and go to the bathroom, Mm -hmm. it turns white. So it'll spike up and turn white from blue. But sometimes I don't remember at all. And I'll see little white spikes. And I'm like, look at that. Yeah, Yeah, it was little, had little wake ups. Yeah. Does that ever, and I know other, like Whoop and Fitbit, et cetera, do something similar. Does that ever give you indication? Absolutely. So that's interesting. I love the wearables because again, it just puts more information and a little bit more autonomy in everybody's hands, right? Mm -hmm. And so- I am seeing a whole subset of people coming in that are requesting to come in because their wearable, their device has signaled to them that, gosh, they may be at risk. There's also apps out there that you can download on your phone that listen to you for people who sleep alone. They're like, gosh, am I snoring at night? I don't know. And so there's uh, free apps out there. There's mattresses now that'll track your sleep. So yes, definitely. I think that there is some validity to those. And Patients definitely do kind of screen themselves with them and ask to come in. Now, it's not diagnostic, okay? But it definitely is good to watch that trend and just kind of see, is my ring consistently telling me that my oxygen levels are low? Then 
that is something to investigate and to look into and get a diagnostic test. Okay. And once you get a true diagnostic test, whether you do it at home or you go into a lab and you get the results, what are options? How do we, (laughs) is it curable? Is it something we just have to work with? Is it always something like a CPAP? Are there mouth devices? What do you do? So there are quite a few choices. Okay. And again, I think that a lot of people don't get screened or don't get tested, don't bring it up because they're afraid of the CPAP machine. Nobody wants a CPAP machine. And it's not the only option. Now, for more severe cases of sleep apnea, the gold standard is a CPAP machine. That being said, people who are not sleeping well, who have significant sleep apnea, once you correct them with a CPAP, they're like, you're not taking this thing away from me. They are sleeping so good. They are feeling so good. They have more energy than they had in years. They're feeling more well-rested. They're no longer waking up with headaches. They feel so much better. So there's no reason to fear the CPAP machine. They've come a long way. They're not these giant dinosaurs. They're very small. They're compact. They're portable. There's a ton of different masks out there. A lot of them are very low profile and minimal. So there's just no reason to be really afraid of the CPAP machine. However, there are many other options. And again, it kind of depends going back to that root cause, right? There are several risk factors or reasons why somebody may have sleep apnea, obstructive sleep apnea. For instance, anatomically, right? Some people may just have smaller airways with big old giant tonsils in the back of their throat. Mm -hmm. So getting those tonsils removed may be all they need to do to keep that airway open. There's also oral appliances, oral dental devices. It's similar to like a night guard for people who have bruxism or clench their teeth. It's an oral device that just kind of pops the jaw forward at night. And when you pull this mandible forward and just slightly adjust it forward, the base of the tongue comes away from the airway, puts a little tension on the soft tissues and keeps the airway nice and open. So that's a really nice, portable, low-key device. For some people who maybe they're morbidly obese and they have big, thick neck circumferences, weight loss can cure sleep apnea. I have a lot of patients who come to me who are being worked up for bariatric surgery. And it's one of the things they have to do, one of the hoops or the boxes they have to check is do sleep testing and get on a sleep machine or or CPAP machine if they have significant apnea because it helps so much with the weight loss. Once they lose the weight, they hit their goal weight, whether it's bariatric surgery or through diet and exercise, lifestyle and behavior, we retest and they don't even need anything anymore. So there are quite a few options. There's a new implanted device It's actually like a nerve stimulator for the back of the throat. Because like I said, these muscles relax, right? Too much. And that's when the airway becomes loose. So there's an implanted device for the back of the throat. You can almost think of it like a pacemaker for the heart. Mm -hmm. This is like a pacemaker type of thing for the back of the throat to keep nice, good muscle tone at night so that the airway doesn't relax. That's a great option for some people. So there are a ton of different things out there on the market these days. I see them all over being advertised. Some of them are definitely have some good data behind them. Others, the studies don't look that great, but you can buy it online for $99. So that's something definitely to talk to your sleep specialist about and see what you're a candidate for, because there are a lot of options out there, depending on the root cause of your obstructive sleep apnea. And let's say it's not sleep apnea. It's for whatever reason, mouth breathing. Mm -hmm. So you're not concerned is a practitioner or a person about the airway closing somebody's mouth, they just breathe through their mouth all the time. Maybe it's mm-hmm. they have sinus issues or it's anatomical or habit. It's just 
they always breathe through the mouth. What do you, when you're noticing that or you see that, like what does mouth breathing tell you and how do you correct that? Just to, to kind of go back, sleep apnea is almost like a continuum, okay? Mm. So you have what would be like upper airway resistance, which like you're snoring and you're making some noise, but it doesn't really cross that threshold of a apnea hypopnea index greater than five. So everybody's airway gets a little bit loose when we sleep. That's totally normal. So an apnea hypopnea index of less than five, one, two, three, four is completely normal. So maybe they're snoring, they're mouth breathing, they're making some noise, but they're not crossing that threshold, but they're like, but I'm still snoring and it's disruptive to my bed partner, Mm. or I'm waking up with a really dry throat. I know that I'm mouth breathing at night. The first thing is make sure why aren't you breathing through your nose? Do you have chronic nasal congestion? Do you have allergies? Do you have sinus issues? Do you anatomically, do you have a deviated septum? Is there something that you need to do to open up these nasal passages so that you can breathe easier through your nose? I'm a huge fan of mouth taping. I love mouth taping. It's becoming quite popular. There's a lot of literature out there, but you first and foremost, before you mouth tape, you need to make sure that you can breathe through your nose before you go taping your mouth shut. So I tell people, Try it during the day when you feel relaxed. It can be very anxiety producing for some people. So try it during the day when you feel relaxed, you're able to breathe through your nose. Try it 30, 45 minutes and see how you do before you tape your mouth at night. And then also it's not like a hostage situation with like duct tape, right? Yeah, don't do that. You're gonna be walking around with a big red rash all over. But just a simple, you don't have to go and buy the fancy mouth tapes. They're out there and they're beautiful and and they're nice. They're relatively inexpensive, but you can just buy a simple roll of micropore medical tape. It's like paper tape. And you can either put one piece this way, just really gently. So you can even still open your mouth a little bit on the sides, or you can just do one strip across your lips and it doesn't have to be really tight. And that way, if you do wake up during the night and you need to quickly open your mouth, you just pop your mouth open and it's not a problem. And for those who are listening, but not watching this, when she showed the first time, it's just up and down. So taking a little piece. And like from from the, the upper lip to the bottom lip. So that's one option, or you can literally go across your lips. I mouth tape often. I don't mouth tape. My husband and I don't mouth tape every night, but either if we forget or we've run out or we're traveling, but we mouth tape often and I like it. Mm-hmm. I like it. Do you find yourself, and this is a question I also ask people is, start paying attention before you start mouth taping. The first thing is start observing yourself. Start really observing your breathing. Do you have a tendency to mouth breathe during the day? So just start to notice like when you're sitting quietly at your desk or doing reading or whatever it is you're doing, oh, am I breathing through my mouth or am I breathing through my nose? And if you are primarily a mouth breather, you definitely can train yourself to be a nose breather. The nose is made for breathing. The mouth was not. But because of sinus issues, allergies, everything we said, people can become mouth breathers. And So you can definitely train yourself to be a nose breather, but you need to make sure that you have good patent nasal airflow and nasal passages before you can do that. Yeah. I'm not a mouth breather. My husband is though. I think he is, he does have a lot of allergy issues. He's also kind of at this point trained himself somewhat into mouth breathing. So we're trying to go the other way and train it back into nose breathing. But last week I got a sinus infection and obviously did not mouth breathe because, or did not mouth tape because... I couldn't breathe through my nose. But man, I could really tell a difference in at night going to bed with full sinuses and how like my mouth was so dry. I woke up with a headache. Now, obviously my sinuses are full, which contributes to a headache. I just knew breathing through my mouth all night long. I was tired. 
I was brain fogged. I was like, ah. Sore throat when you wake up, you wake up, you're drinking water. Yes. 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 And what's interesting is that as this becomes, is the idea of mouth breathing and mouth taping, You'll we see it now a lot more on social media. I will see in the comment section of people who didn't realize, they're like, oh, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try this and give this a shot. And they'll go, oh my gosh, my morning headaches went away. Oh my gosh, my chronic dry mouth went away. We just all assume if it's always your normal, how do you know any different? So if you always woke up with dry mouth or you have consistently for a while, you've always woken up with sort of a low-grade headache that goes away once you get up and get going. And you're thinking, it's my bed, it's my pillow, it's whatever. And it might be, but that it's funny to watch the comments of people who go, I had no idea this was the root cause. And so I love the education around it for people who didn't even know this was an option to put in their toolbox, gently tape their mouth shut at night might eliminate some of these symptoms they're having. Absolutely. I love that. I love that, Carrie. You're so right. And I think that you are so right and that people normalize their symptom. They just live like that for so long that they just think it's normal to be tired or fatigued, to not sleep through the night. Now, that being said, we all do wake up many, many times during the night, but we don't remember it. But people just normalize like, oh, I just sleep five hours. I just, I wake up and I can't go back to sleep. It's just my normal. I'm just tired. I'm dragging. And once you, like you say, correct it and they're getting, whether it's better sleep or they're waking up without a dry mouth, they're just like, wow, I didn't know that this existed. So I love that. It can be quite literally life-changing, right? Everything from the, just the day-to-day simple things, energy and headaches to the long-term things you've already mentioned, cardiovascular disease, metabolic disease, et cetera. So that's why conversations like this are so important. So we can help reduce people's fears because you're right. Everyone just freaks out immediately. I don't want to see, I don't want to know because I don't want to CPAP. It's like, well, yeah, you, there are options and the CPAP might actually quite literally save your life. Absolutely. It may be a good thing. (laughs) And if you know better, then you can do better. That's what I tell people. Exactly. Yes. I love that. I love that. Well, okay. Given that this is, this is the root cause medicine podcast and we have been talking all about sleep, sleep apnea. What's like one, your one or two top things you want everyone to walk away knowing at the end of this podcast? So I think kind of top three takeaways. First is prioritize sleep. We live in such a busy society and we all have so many pressures, but and responsibilities, but prioritizing your sleep is important. Okay. Really making that time, giving yourself the opportunity for a good solid seven and a half, eight hours of sleep is the most important thing. If you are only giving your opportunity, yourself an opportunity to sleep for five hours, guess what? That's all you're going to get. And you're lucky if you can get that right. Number two is if you are having a sign of sleep disorder, talk to your primary provider about it. It's so important. Like we said, it really does affect your life. And if you change your sleep, you change everything. You really change your life. And lastly, I think that don't be afraid to talk to somebody about it and to get it addressed because there are a lot of options out there. There is a lot of help and it's important. I love that. That's fantastic. And you know, people listening to this podcast now are asking their their partner, you know, do I snore? (laughs) Do I snore? And if you sleep alone, then consider what she mentioned earlier, which is use some of the apps to see if you, to record yourself, see if Mm -hmm. you are snoring, because once you know, you'll do better. So this is good. This is so helpful. I love it. All right, Emily, where can they find you? Where can they learn more about this? Where can they more learn more about you? 
Give us all the deets. Yes. So you can visit my website. It is lucentisleep.com. That's L-U-C-E-N-T-E, lucentisleep.com. You can also email me directly at info at lucentisleep.com. And you're on social media too, correct? I am. Yes. Yes, I am. All right. Lucentisleep is my handle on Instagram. Pretty easy. (laughs) Lucentisleep. Wonderful. Oh my goodness. Well, thank you so much for being on the Root Cause Medicine podcast because I just agree 100% sleep is where it's at. We often blow it off as humans. We don't take it as seriously as we should. It can The lack of it can lead to a lot of long-term sequelae we don't even think about or we wouldn't even coordinate with it. So thank you for coming on and sharing all your expertise. Thank you. Thank you, Carrie, for having me. my goodness. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I have one quick favor to ask before you go. If you love today's conversation, would you mind leaving us a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on right now? My whole goal is education. So positive reviews are actually the number one thing that help new people discover the show. You're amazing. I so appreciate it. And I'll catch you on the next episode.